Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. In the name of our one liberating, life-giving, loving God, amen. Please be seated. So faith tends to do one of two things. Either our faith closes down possibilities and says the world must not be this way, or faith opens out asks us to widen the aperture, deepen our engagement. Of course, I'm oversimplifying, but stick with me. Because I think Christianity in this country is facing a crisis precisely because we have overemphasized the first tendency to close down, to tightly define. We need more faith, which helps us to open our minds, to live deeply, and to engage fully with the life as we find it. And faith can make us grumble about how things are supposed to be in this world. Our gospel today invites us to that sort of faith that opens us. The area of the Samaritan woman at the well is one of the longest we read in the church here. So long that our deacon took a vacation and left it to Julie to read. It's not true. He's just up hanging with that grandbaby in Chicago. And John's gospel, it, it works in the land of metaphor. And if you slow down, there's so much more going on in this long story than we have time to talk about today. But let me illustrate by way of contrast. A number of you were here last week when we read the story of Nicodemus. And I told the joke that our presiding bishop likes to say, he calls that story Nick at Night. Uh, because Nicodemus comes under the cover of darkness, right? The Samaritan woman, in contrast, comes in the full light of the midday. Nicodemus is the patron saint of covert Christianity. He goes away quietly. He doesn't want anyone to know he's met Jesus. The Samaritan woman goes and tells all of her people, come and see among all these contrasts, though, don't miss the social contrast. Nicodemus is the ultimate insider in Jesus' society, isn't he? Member of the Sanhedrin, a teacher of the law. He was as connected a Jewish citizen as a Jewish citizen of Jerusalem could be. And to Jesus' hearers, the Samaritan woman is exactly his opposite. She's an outcast among the outcasts. The Samaritans were considered religious outsiders, culturally, religiously. And as a woman, her gender is also working against her in her own society, right? She's excluded. Additionally, we learn this woman has a certain reputation. Five husbands. And yet, and yet, the Samaritan woman engages with Jesus like no one else has. She listens, she laughs. And she goes forth to tell the good news. The feminist scholar Elizabeth Schussler Fiorenza calls the Samaritan woman the first evangelist. 
And in John's gospel, that's right. And this story is crucial, the theologian says, for understanding exactly the sort of future that Jesus is proposing. Jesus' message destroys all of our hierarchies. Jesus invites us to a different kind of faith, a faith which can open us to possibilities beyond our usual binaries, beyond usual ways of understanding, beyond the usual ways that we arrange power. And this gospel story is long, and there's so many metaphors, and Episcopalians are used to 12-minute sermons. So I'm going to just focus in on one set of details today. I want you to notice who speaks and who doesn't in this gospel. Who speaks and who doesn't? And let's take those in the opposite order, shall we? The disciples return from their errand understandably concerned, but they choose not to speak. And remember, these disciples, they come from a religion and a, a cultural system that's very concerned about purity. Theirs was a culture and a faith that had really strict rules about how women behaved around men. And add to that, this is Jacob's well. Jacob met Rachel, his beloved, at a well. Wells are often associated with marriages in the Bible. Jacob met his wife at a well. Moses met his wife at a well. Watch out for women at the well. <laughs> the disciples are concerned when they get back. Every fiber of their being balks. John even tells us what they're thinking, what they decide not to say. What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? But notice they don't speak up. They've learned as followers of Jesus, sometimes it's better to pause, to listen, to watch. Because they quiet their own prejudices, they're able to hear words they haven't yet spoken themselves. Truly, this one is the savior of the world. And that last one matters. That word world matters. I talked about it last week. It's cosmos in Greek. Here in Samaria, Jesus is proclaimed Messiah, not just the anointed one of the Jewish people. Jesus is the savior of the world, the cosmos, the whole of creation. The disciples choose not to speak and so are able to hear God's expansive vision of salvation. On the other hand, the one who surprises us with speaking is the Samaritan woman. Scholars have noted, despite Jesus naming her marital troubles, the woman doesn't utter a word of shame. No, she pokes fun at Jesus. I, I love that line. Sir, you have no bucket. Where are you going to draw water? She also asks him theologically, our ancestors worshiped God on this mountain. You and your people say it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem, a place Samaritans didn't go. Jesus responds, God is spirit, which could also be read as breath or wind. It is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. Her speech surprises, not only because it lacks shame and fear, though given her situation, the lack of shame is remarkable. Her words are playful and curious and hopeful, and they invite something of Jesus. She models a faithful openness. 
The Samaritan woman invites God to be God for her. What words characterize your own experience of faith? Are they words like judgment, strictness, control? Or could your faith be characterized with words like playful, inquisitive, curious, intentional? I've preached a great deal about policy lately, and here in Missouri, as in many places around our country, our faith is being used to justify dangerous policy. Our fellow Christians hold their faith in a way designed to shut people down. These proposed laws seek to enforce a narrow vision of how life should be lived on our neighbors and on our kids. But today, I don't want to talk about policy. I already did that at breakfast. I want to talk personally. I remember the first time I met someone who identified as transgender. I was working as a lay college chaplain not long after graduating from university myself. It was almost 20 years ago, I realized, as I preached at 8 a.m. this morning, and I went, whoa. I was the first openly gay person serving in the role of a religious person on the college campus at UCSD, even among the Episcopalians. And the LGBTQ Center invited me to facilitate a group on spirituality. The first night the group met, a young woman came, and it was obvious to me that she had not long identified as a woman. And for weeks, I, as we met, I had to quiet a voice that was inside of me that said, no. Our society's lessons about gender are strong. And so strong that at times, and I'm not proud of this, but I was fighting an emotion that I would call revulsion. I'm not proud of that reaction, but I share it in case there are others who have had this experience. Somehow, by the grace of God, I didn't speak my internal words out loud. Over the weeks, I heard her story. As she talked, I felt so many resonances with my own coming out. And she spoke about her sense, even as a young kid, that her body, the way her parents cut her hair, her clothes that she was assigned, the games she was invited to play, they didn't match her experience of herself, who she knew herself to be. She talked about the freedom and grace she encountered when she got to college, and she was able to make these choices for herself, even to be known by a new name. As I listened, something eventually softened and opened. Some hardness formed by religion and society was able to relax. Harden not your hearts, says the psalm. I think far more of us people of faith need to learn to listen and to relax. When I was in seminary, I didn't make it downstairs to breakfast very often because it takes me a little while to become fully human in the morning. And seminarians are a special breed. But one random Tuesday, I happened to be down in the cafeteria, what they call at seminary the refectory, because Episcopalians have fancy names for everything. And I was listening to some dry analysis of Episcopal tradition for which it was entirely too early in the morning. And I heard a laugh which I will never forget. 
the lounge at the Virginia Seminary is attached to the front of the dining hall, and this cackle emanated from beyond the big doors around a corner, but it echoed off the hard floor and the plaster walls, and I knew the laugh. I had heard it in pulpits and on television interviews. I had already finished eating, and so I quickly put up my plate and made my way through the big doors, and right there in front of me, smiling, taking photos with students, standing all of five foot, five inches tall, was the Archbishop Emeritus of Cape Town, Desmond Tutu. And despite the seminarians blocking his path to breakfast, he was talking and listening and laughing that laugh. On Ash Wednesday, I shared a measurement of faith from one of the Episcopal Church's great voices, a black laywoman theologian named Verna Dozier. And Verna Dozier said, don't tell me what you believe. Show me how the world is different because of what you believe. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me how the world is different because of what you believe. By that measure, there was perhaps no one of greater faith in the last 50 years than Desmond Tutu. His faith won the Nobel Prize for Peace. His faith helped end apartheid in South Africa. His faith helped bring truth and reconciliation to his country. Desmond Tutu survived awful persecution, constant death threats. And yet this man of great faith today is remembered as much for his laugh as for his strength. Faith tends to do one of two things. It can close us down or it can open us up. Christians are known too often, especially in this country, for being closed. When you read a gospel like today's, you have to wonder why we think it's our job to shut people down. After all, ours is a faith with the capacity to bring light and curiosity and hope. Ours is a faith which can help us see people whom we might have excluded and instead treat them as fellow travelers, as friends. Ours is a faith which can help us laugh and listen. May your Lenten journey help you this year to quiet down and to pay attention, and especially to transform shame into laughter. Amen.